Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome to the next episode of Shared Pages with me, Ronnie. I'm Ian. And today we are here to discuss our book that was the read of December. We picked a very cheery tale fitting for the season, uh, The Fisherman by John Langan. It's Langan. Langan. Uh, apologies then, I did I not look know. up the pronunciation. Um, but um, in case you couldn't tell, that was sarcasm. This is not a cheery tale. This is actually a very sad, dark tale. So, um, uh, very horror-themed, which feels right, because it was Ian's pick. Yep. So it obviously is going to be a horror kind of vibe to the story, I feel like. Um... But I guess do we just do we want to just get right into it? Do you want to do a, a little summary first? Yeah. Okay. Um. So the fisherman is a cosmic horror story, kind of in the vein of Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And I do have to say, uh, spoiler alert. I guess this book went places I was not expecting. I thought it was going to be a story of two dudes that were sad because their wives died, but then like it just kind of teasing the idea of, like, an Eldritch Horror, but it it went way farther than yeah. that, so... Um, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's in the vein of Lovecraft, but it also riffs off of uh, Moby Dick, whale, um, and uh, it's about these two widowed men who, uh, you know, their wives pass away, and they they work for IBM, and they bond over fishing. Yep, so there's there's Abe and Dan. Abe obvi- is the main character. His name is obviously Joke, right? And um, they Abe loses his wife to cancer, and Dan loses his wife because he... I can't tell, is it just reckless driving on his part? Like, he is not... He just is going through a light as soon as it changes and the truck driver hits him. I, you know, I thought Something it was like more, that. like, like yes, he was reckless because he was like, I don't need my seatbelt, I'm only driving the block. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, like, kind of a reference to, like, cosmic indifference. Like, you know, even if maybe he had been, like, perfectly careful, this accident still would have happened. Because it just seems like, you know, he pulled out and then the other guy just didn't have time to stop or like it was very unclear about who's actually at fault. Yeah, but obviously the character Dan he feels very responsible himself yes. uh, for it. That's something that's very important for later on. It weighs on his conscience very heavily. Um, and then Abe, it's kind of different because he equally has sadness like Dan does, but the way he lost his wife was just like so vastly different from the way Dan yeah. did. Like he lost her to cancer, so there was nothing he could really do. It was like an invisible foe that they kind of knew it would take her eventually, and it was very sad still, obviously, but not the similar situation. Um, but anyway, bond. they bond over fishing. fishing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so they end up going to a small community-slash-fishing area near the Catskills in upstate New York. Which is pretty close to where we're from, honestly. Yeah, it is actually. I was yeah. actually wondering if we looked on a map where all these rivers and everything they mentioned would be. Yeah. Also, you know what? I didn't do this, but I feel like I should have. I should have looked and seen if Dutchman's Creek is a real yeah. place. Because that is, like, the 
place in the book that they are trying to go to the whole time is Dutchman's Creek. And it's like this almost like a like a mythical story place among the fishermen and they're talking about it. Um but I never looked up if it was actually real. Yeah. So Um Doesn't it d- seem like from it. From a quick Google, Google search, search. Yeah. uh it does not appear that it is real. It appears it is a fake place. But- but, um, so these two men, you know, they go fishing together in this little community, and on the way there, they stop at a diner, uh, what was that guy's name? Howard. Howard. And the guy who owns the diner is named Howard, and he tells them a long, spooky, scary story about how, why this place is, I'm gonna use haunted, but that's not quite the right term, it's more no. like, cursed. It's it's not even that, really. Like, from the way that the book is, it's almost like this place is... It just naturally exists on the veil between worlds. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it is where there's the thinnest barrier between our world and something else. Yeah, and he kind of says they're all over the place, and this just happens to be one, one of, of the places. Yeah, which is horrifying to think about. Like, this is just one story in this universe. Like, yeah. think about what else... It's going on. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, do we want to do we want to talk about the middle story? Yeah, I mean that's what I was uh, aiming for. Um, but yeah. So you know, the horror doesn't really start. Like, there's like the trauma of having a loved one die, but then when they go to the diner that Howard owns, he tells them the story. That when does this start? Like the eighteen hundreds? I think so. It's somewhere around that time. Yeah. It's just like on the verge of like when industrialism is gonna happen. Yeah. Or like I think it's is it like right before World War Two actually, maybe? Maybe it's not that late or early. Oh um, I don't I don't remember. I don't remember the exact time. Yeah. But um, they're they're building a dam to flood an area of so they can have a Water supply for New, New York, York City. City. Yeah. Um, and in this community, there was a rich man whose wife passed away as well. Lots of dead wives in this story. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. Like, this book really leaned heavily into the dead wives right, yeah. to push a story forward trope. Which, I I don't know. Like, the way that I read this author, obviously he's a male author, it didn't feel, like, malicious in the way that it does sometimes. sometimes. Like, in the Southern Empire's Yeah. (laughs) But it, like, it still irked me a bit as I was reading it. That I was like, come on, couldn't one of them have been, like, a woman with a dead husband or something? (laughs) Like, couldn't we mix it up a little bit? I mean, I think there is an argument for, like, good women characters, mm-hmm. but we gotta get a little farther. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this man, he's like, he's not the mayor, he's just like a rich guy in the community. Cornelius. Is, yeah, Cornelius. Schmidt? Yeah, I think so. But his wife passes away, and so, like, around that time, a man in all black, and he's on a black horse, I believe. I think he had a black horse, and then he shows up in a cart. With wheels that are, like, extra thick, and people are, like, they don't know what it was, but he had, like, symbols or yeah. something carved on his wheels. And Which I always thought that was interesting. I was like, does he use these this cart to, like, travel between, like, what do the significance of that have yeah. to do with him? I but think anyway. it was just, like, yo, this guy's weird. Yo, this guy's just <laughs> but creepy. But anyways, he rolls into town, and everyone's kind of like, that's weird. But then he he goes to the to Cornelius' house, 
And Cornelius welcomes him, and the whole community is like, that's weird, because Cornelius doesn't like anyone. Right. Um, so, you know, they don't see this man for a long time, except, like, you can see him on the property of Cornelius, and he's, like, uh, talking to Cornelius, and then eventually you start to see the... The woman in wife. black. Yeah, the woman in black. Well, they don't know that. It's. I mean, it is clearly from the rest of the story some version of his dead wife, but they just know it's a woman in like a black veil, dressed in all black. Yeah, that walks with Cornelius at night sometimes. Um. Yeah, so that happens, and then that guy, the the guy in all black that came to Cornelius's house, honestly, kind of fades into obscurity. I think he's, like, laying low yeah. in the house as Cornelius, like, goes about his life. Like, people don't see him. Yeah. And then eventually Cornelius dies, and you find out that he bequeathed, the, is that the right word? Yeah. The house to Dude. the man in black. Yep. Um, anyway. Many years pass. That guy's still living there. <laughs> yeah, just vibing. And then they decide, that's when they decide they're gonna build the dam. At, at, in yeah. the place where this town well, is. Well, Cornelius is still alive when they decide they're going to build the dam because he. But he dies. He dies it. before it's finalized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when Cornelius dies, he was kind of like the main person that was trying to prevent it. Yeah. And then nobody's left that's powerful mm. enough to fight it. Um. Anyways, so that brings us to a different time in the story. Yeah. Like, what is it like? Th- 20 or 30 years. years later like the dam after is Cornelius well has died under construction and people are not only getting paid to build the dam but also to cut stone and they have to like remove every building that is of value in this area that's going to be flooded and also graves so there's like a whole community that has been built up in this area that is soon to be flooded and then that's where we meet uh Lottie yeah oh no wait Maybe it wasn't Cornelius Schmidt because I think it's Lottie Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then her father. Her father. Um, who is like kind of the main protagonist of this middle part. Um, Rainier. Rainier. Yeah, Rainier. And then his wife Clara. Mm-hmm. And what's important to know about Rainier, if that's how you say it, I feel like I'm pronouncing it wrong, is that he was a kind of like famous scholar like an academic like an academic who worked at a university but all we know at the beginning of his tale is that he was discredited in some way and then his whole family had to move to america from germany from germany and then that's how they ended up here at this dam Mm -hmm. that's being built yeah um and uh Luna, why are you doing this? I'm sorry, the cat just Luna attacked Luna just Rodney. attacked me, I don't know why. You're um, sitting here, you'll just leave. Okay. Um, <laughs> Rude. But, uh, so Rainier and his family are living there, and he's become a stonecutter. Mm-hmm. And there's another family there, and they're kind of, like, unimportant, except that there's a Hungarian woman who seems to commit suicide? I think she, that is what happens. I think she commits suicide because she finds out her husband has been and, like, cheating, cheating on, on her, her with, like, uh, hookers, essentially? Yeah. Like, prostitutes, it sounds like. But she like. just kind of, like, sees a wagon roll by and she's like, well, my time has yeah. come. Yeah, like, which, again, another dead woman just for yeah. the sake of the plot going forward. But, so she dies. Mm-hmm. And the husband, in, like, grief, everyone assumes, kind of, like, disappears for a few days. And then he comes back. With his dead wife. (laughs) And everyone's like, what the fuck? But the important thing to note is that his dead wife looks 
the way that she did when she died, so where she's... like it looks like all the bones are broken in her body, and she has golden eyes, which yeah. is important to note. Um, we didn't talk about any of the things earlier with like um, um, Abe. I forgot his name for a second. Where he has the dream of his dead wife. Yes, in yes. in the water, there and she has times. she has golden eyes too. So this is kind of like you're like, oh, this is weird. Like that was yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so she, you know, he comes back and he brings his wife back with him. And the community's kind of like, well, that's weird, but we're just ignoring that for a while. <laughs> right. And then eventually, um, so while she was gone and the husband was off trying to bring her back, uh, Lottie? Lottie. Lottie and Clara and Rainier? Mm-hmm. Right, Clara. Clara's the mom. I Clara's was, the mom, The names yeah. are like but they have kind of adopted his kids while this is happening. And the Hungarian woman, you know, despite being dead and broken, shows up and is like, hey, give my kids back. Yeah, they stay with Italio, actually. Uh, yeah. And and his wife, which is just another person that lives in the quarry. Um, but yeah, then the dead woman shows up at the house to essentially try and take the kids back. And, it, like, everything about her is very unsettling, right? Like, I feel like we should talk about it. Yeah. She has the golden eyes. She walks like she, every bone in her body was broken, like it was the day she died. She always looks like she's dripping what? wet yeah. and has, like, pools of water forming underneath her. And when she talks, they just describe it like when somebody's trying to talk while they're, like, swallowing mm. or, like, when they're, like, drowning, yeah. you know, that kind of, like, gurgling sound. And also, apparently, she has... This ability to, like, know people's innermost secrets. Like, like not only your secret, thing. but also, like, you know, like, something that you might wish was true, but you, like, would never act on it. Or, like, not even that. It's almost like something in your, like, primal subconscious yeah. that is just, like, an initial thought that you would have. But then when you have that thought, you're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. Yeah. Like, why would like, I think that kind yeah. of thing? But, like, she knows that you thought and it. she also, to some extent, seems, like, kind of to be able to teleport. She also, she does seem to be able to teleport, which is never really explained. I would just kind of thought maybe she is, since she's, like, a being from the other side of the veil, maybe she has the ability to pass, like, yeah. between it, like, But see, that doesn't really make sense, because this actually brings up one of my favorite scenes. And they, you know, the family is like, you're not taking these kids back. You're clearly an undead you're lady. Clearly, you're clearly an undead lady who's creepy as fuck. We're and not letting So they, kids. like, barricade the door against her. Um, She's being creepy. And then she stops. And they're like, maybe she left. And the the parents are watching the door. And they have the kids hidden in this back room, which I think is a bedroom. And she has, like... I the only way I can describe when I when they describe her moving is I was like she schlumps <laughs> she schlumps she's yeah. just like schlumping around but she has like <laughs> schlumped her way around to the back of the um house and she can hear the kids back there and I think this is a really well paced scene because she like slowly like you know the the scene is described as like you know she found the one loose board and she began to pull on that board. So she, like, pulls open the back wall to get at the kids. Yeah, so she also apparently has inhuman strength, along with her list of other abilities. Like, she's insanely strong, and can weirdly teleport, and is always wet, and has golden eyes. She's a creepy fish thing. 
Uh, yeah, and but you know, I just think the pacing of that moment is very good mm-hmm. because it's not like a jump scare, as in like "boo, I got you." It's more like, okay, the parents are distracted looking at the front door, and she's like, got this moment of like weakness, and when is she gonna get into that room? Yeah, but. Going back to teleporting, like she did, she didn't just like phase through the wall. She was like, "I'm yeah. gonna rip this wall open." Yeah, those she wanted to be dramatic for that, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, so essentially, she doesn't end up getting the kids because the Italian mom ends up beating her arm with a frying pan, yeah. and she eventually like gives up and goes away. Yeah. She schlups away, if you will. Um, but anyways, creepy things continue to happen with Helen. Every which is the undead lady. I don't care remember if we said her name. Creepy things continue to happen with the undead wife lady. Her husband is just a fucking wreck. At one point, people go to check on him. He just vomits up a bunch of weird space tadpoles and then dies. And, like, that's the (laughs) end of his story. (laughs) And I was just like, all right, dude. But then eventually, she knows that this family, the Schmidt family, with, like, Rainier and Clara... She knows that they're on to something, some way to stop her. Because Rainier, as we mentioned, is a scholar. And it seems like he knows some a little bit about what's going on and perhaps some way to stop it. So eventually the undead woman corners their daughter Lottie in the like closet. Like yeah. In the larder of the bakery she works at. And that is when she, that is when you really can see the full extent of her horrific abilities, I think, because she, like, she, like, comes in, and just the whole description of it is very unsettling. Like, Lottie's in this larder, and then the door closes, and she can just hear her breathing in the dark, and it's just, like, rasping, and then she realizes it's not breathing, it's her saying something. And she's essentially speaking, and I think this is, like, a fairly common term for it. It's not, I always want to say under common, but that's Dungeons and Dragons. Under speech? But it's like under speech. And yeah. you know, like, it's like this concept that reality is like part of a bigger ocean. Mm-hmm. And that she's speaking like the language, like the true language of that ocean. And they kind of talk about that in like Lovecraft Country and a lot of other cosmic horror stories. Where if you knew like the language of like Adam and Eve, you could like name things and yeah, yeah, and it seems like that is definitely that is definitely the type of magic language that they're using in this book for sure. Um, but she corners Lottie in this larder, and then Lottie like listens to her, and as she listens to her, she can like see this vast black ocean. I was wondering, like, if this was like a you know because essentially, like, although it's like a bigger reality than humans are supposed to see. It's, like, a part of the world humans live in still. Mm-hmm. So was she, like, able to slowly understand it because she has some kind of, like, primordial link to this plane of existence? So, like, she was, like, forced there, but then she slowly was able to, like, comprehend it. She didn't just, like, go insane. Like, he wasn't a Lovecraft story. I feel like in some way... To me, that reality that's on the other side of the veil with the black ocean and everything is something that we are... It seemed like everybody's connected to it in some way, mm-hmm. but in the way that it's like, that is maybe just one thread of our essence or whatever yeah. that would be located there on a, like, a parallel universe type thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, 
the woman is like, I'm essentially thinking of it as like she's saying this spell that kind of astral projects lobbies the rest of her consciousness to that side of the ocean. See, that's what I was thinking or too. Or something like that. And, but I also was thinking like by hearing this under speech it like triggered like something in her mind like deep subconscious where she for like was able to like pull her there for a second. Mm. It was like opening her third eye. Yeah, it's, it's, like something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and so then Lottie sees, like, that, that huge black sea, but then she also starts to notice there's shapes in the water, these pale shapes, and then she realizes there are hundreds and hundreds of faces, and then as she focuses, she sees, like, herself in the water, but with, like, the golden eyes, and her other self in this ocean is whispering all of Lottie's deepest and darkest thoughts at all times, essentially, um, and obviously Lottie is horrified by that. She doesn't like that. And then she realizes the people next to her are like her father and her mother. And she's like listening to all their deepest, darkest things or whatever. Yeah. But eventually she has the sense to snap herself out of it. And she kind of like gets herself away from the dead woman that is like making her see this. And while this is all happening... The rest of the people working there are like, hey, where'd she go? And then they're like, why she, she doesn't locked? scream or anything. Yeah. Like, she just goes in there and just silently, like, it even says, like, she, in the book, she was like, I don't know, I just didn't scream. Yeah. I just stood there. But, you know, they were, like, trying to break down the door. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually she does scream, and then yeah. they try to break down the door, and then they get in, and um, she's essentially, like, freed from the clutches, but at the same time not, because she falls into this, like, slumber where yeah. she's kind of like trapped still well and that's like the horror of this woman's ability it's like she doesn't just tell you stuff that like you know you might not want to hear or you like would like worry you she tells you things that seem to like inevitably happen to you later in life so even though like they're like truly horrible things they just like are like constantly lingering at your mind and then like when they happen you're just like god damn the Mary and broken lady I don't know. Maybe that's true. I don't think that's necessarily true. But I do. We never know what she whispered to the one Italian lady mm. because she whispers something, and it seems like she and her husband know what she, the, she was whispering about. And then, like, I think it's like two or three years later, the woman dies, and like her husband doesn't seem surprised by it. So I always wondered if she like knew that she had some kind of illness that she was trying to yeah. keep secret or something. Um, which isn't necessarily to say that, like, the dead woman saying that made her die. She just knew that it was, yeah. like, something that was going to happen, you know? Mm. Um, but yeah, this is what prompts Rainier... To get invested. To really start working on this problem. Because he's like, now my daughter is in like danger. A weird coma. And I just love the idea, like, he, like, he digs into his books, right? And also, I like the way that they describe... Like, essentially, as he's, like, delving into magics, how it, like, makes him look. Like, they were, like, it's, like, light is coming out of him. Yeah. Like, as he gains this knowledge, there's some kind of inner light in his face that they can see. But it's, like, dark, is how they described it. Yeah. It's, like, a light but dark, which is weird to say. I kind of, I don't know what I imagined it like. Like, the dark saber. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, like, um, like, there's a... I can't remember where this quote is from, but it's like, you know, light and dark aren't very different because no matter what you do, if you look into either one directly, you're going to be blind either way. Yeah, yeah, I guess that that's a good quote. I wonder where it's from. Yeah. Somewhere. 
<laughs> but um, you know, like so he's he's like using what essentially seems to be like forbidden knowledge for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the reason that he was discredited at the beginning. Yeah, is that he was working with another scholar who ends up dying due to their studies, and so then the university's like, we can't have you associated with our school. Because this happened, and so now you have to leave. Basically. Move to America. Go. Get out of here. Go to America. You're their problem. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, but I do love the idea, like, he gets the knowledge to at least get started um, facing the dead woman, and he knows he's got to deal with the man in black, too, because he's, yeah. like, he's like, this dead woman is one thing, but she came from somewhere. I know it's that man in black from way back at the beginning of this summarization, yeah. when uh, he, we know that like he is somehow involved in this. We're going to go talk to him after we talk to her. But I just love the idea of Rainier. He just comes out with like a silver butter knife, and he's just like, "All right, we're gonna Let's fucking go. we're gonna trap this bitch." And he just like draws all these symbols on her house and like traps her in there. He's like, "All right, that's good. We just let her cook in there a little bit, get weaker, and then we'll we'll go we'll go f her up." Basically, <laughs> is what he does. Yep. Like, um, so then he like grabs his boys, uh. And there's, I think it's four. He brings four, he, four he brings, including him. Yeah, four including him, so there's five total. It's him, Italio, which is the yeah. Italian man. Um, and I literally cannot remember the other I know Angelo is, Angelo is one of them. because They're brothers. There's Angelo. there's Angelo and another A name who's a, who's a brother. And then... Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think Jacob... I, yeah, I think so. Jacob is the one, the the last one, mm-hmm. and Jacob's like in love with Lottie, which yeah. is Rainier's daughter. So that's um, why he's going. So yeah, but they go, they essentially wait for her to kind of weaken, and then question her. Yeah, they question her about stuff, and she's not obviously very forthcoming. Which you know, this is something I thought was interesting. Sometimes she is forthcoming if she feels like her answer is some way going to cause them pain in some way. It seems like, mm-hmm. but what I thought was cool is when she didn't want to give an answer she'd be like he they'd ask a question and she'd be like ask me no more and then he'd ask again and she'd be like i'm telling you don't ask me again and then he asked her a third time and she always would answer on the third time and i was like oh this is some kind of like cool allusion to like the rule of three or like the power of three kind of thing where it's like you know well and also it seemed to be like like yeah the rule of three but andrew Rainier knew um, some kind of, like, eldritch, like, rule of magic, where it was like, I have you in this moment boxed in, and if I ask you the right amount of times, you will have to answer. Right, exactly. Or, like, even, like, if I ask in the right way, like, if I ask, like, who's behind this? And it's not a who necessarily, it's like, what is behind this? You know, that kind of thing. And then she would answer the question. But essentially, they interrogate her, um, and she finds, and they, like, are like, okay, it's the man in black at the top of the hill, and we gotta go, like, F with him. And he, what he asks is questions in regards to what the man in black is doing, how far is he in this process of trying to secure something, and... They always say they never know the name, like they don't understand it when it's spoken, but everybody's like, I think it was Apep, which I think yeah. is so funny. It's like the name of the Leviathan in the Black Sea. Yeah. And But they're like, I don't know, it sounds like Apep, and I'm like, it sounds so cute. 
<laughs> a little apep. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, essentially what they get out of this lady before burning down the house that they're in mm-hmm. is that the this man is fishing for essentially the Leviathan from the Bible. Right. But the Leviathan is not, like, vibing in, like, the Atlantic somewhere. No. He's in, like, the cosmic ocean. He's in, like, the Eldritch Ocean, yeah. the huge black sea that they always reference. Which, by the way, uh, we didn't do it like we normally do, but the cover of the book is just, like, a tumultuous tumultuous ocean. I looked it up. This is, like, a famous painting. I was gonna say, is it? Who is... Do you remember anything about I, it? I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember it's like off of Nantucket or something. Okay, yeah, and it's just like a storming sea with a huge black uh, cloud over it, so yeah, very uh, ominous to the contents of the mm. book, you know, foreshadowing. But, but yeah, so this guy, he wants to catch a Leviathan for reasons known only to him. I mean, he essentially, it seems like he wants power. Yeah. Right. His family. His wife was also, also killed. killed. Uh, yeah, another freaking dead wife. They're just piling up, yeah. hundreds of them at this point. But his wife was. His wife and children were also killed, and uh, that's how he started seeking out this knowledge in the first place because he wanted to bring them back. It yeah. seems like. But when you actually see the fisherman, I don't think his like wife or like the no. He's just in there catching the vibe. He just he's just busy. He maybe he he's aware that the what they can bring back right now is not real. Or yeah. maybe he's the one that makes those fish people? I don't know. There's a lot of questions. Yeah. But anyway. I mean, I mean, that's that's like part of the tradition of like a Lovecraft story is you have yeah. more questions at the end than you started with. Yeah. Um, anyway, Rainier and the boys. Yeah, so they take their hatchets. Yeah, and uh they trek up to the house on the hill where the man in black lives, which I thought was a really cool description. Oh, yeah, there. the walk, yeah. The walk getting they there. They do, and this is, we talked about this, like, a couple seconds before we started the recording. I don't really remember any quotes, like, specifically, but I have, like, very vivid images in my head. Yeah. Like, that, that part was very cool because uh, they're, like, essentially walking, and at this point, like, we're deep into the fantastical aspects of this story. Like I said, when I picked it up, I was like, it's just about two sad dudes going fishing. You probably have already forgot about Abe and Dan from the beginning we talked about. I forgot about them when I was reading this book, because I was like, this story's way cooler than these two sad dudes. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, that, you know, they're like trekking through this weird kind of woods. and It's it's woods, and then like through the trees, they think they can she- see shapes of people, and then they realize like it's those pale people with the gold eyes. And they're swimming through the trees, hmm. and then they realize they're underwater, and then they get to the door of the building, and then they open the door, and instead of finding the house, there's, like, just a huge ocean? Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, well, not, like a, a huge forest, forest. With, like, this big hill that it goes down, down. and yeah. then they, like, go down this huge hill, and then they finally find the black, black ocean, ocean. And, and they can see... Like, the waves crashing and everything. And in the distance, like, a gargantuan, like, Shape. what they think is an, like, island, island at that point. But, but then it, then they realize it's moving. Yeah. Um, so, like, and they walk through this area. Um, so, one of the things they see is they're walking onto the beach, which I wanted to ask you about, is the golden calves, or the golden cows. Yeah. And I was like, is that a reference to something? Yeah, the um the golden The golden calf calves from the Bible. From, isn't it Helios? Hold on. Let me go. Oh, from Greek mythology. Yeah. 
I don't know. I was thinking the golden. There's a story of a golden calf in the Bible, but I don't. I think it's like that they. Yeah, because that's the one made for an idol made for oh. Aaron for the Israelites during Moses's absence on Mount Sinai. But then, isn't there? No, I'm thinking of the golden apples and stuff. I'm, yeah, I'm you're mixing two apples. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, there's a, there's some golden cows, uh, but they're all dead and decapitated. Yeah. And you find out the fisherman was using their heads as bait right. for the Leviathan, which is like I guess the only thing that the Leviathan would be tempted by would be these sacred golden cows that were murdered. It is also unclear if the Leviathan is like a Lovecraftian like Eldritch God or something like that. I just thought of him as more of like just a primordial being. Yeah. Like he's not really he probably doesn't even know what's fucking happening. Yeah. He's just chilling at his black ocean. This guy's dropping these lures in there, these golden cow heads. He's like, yum. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh shit, what's happening? Yeah. Oh my god. But like he's, yeah, as he is like the Leviathan has been eating, he's also been like essentially like harpooning him. <laughs> yeah, with like hundreds and hundreds of these giant lur- l- lures. I <laughs> say Hitler. Um, um, but yeah, and so they they see that. And then eventually... They start chopping. Yeah. Well, they come up... Does he show up before or after they start chopping? I think the fisherman shows up, like, before they start chopping. And then he tries to stop them, but Rainier and him essentially have what I would think would be, like, a fucking awesome wizard battle. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have a wizard battle, and it's like, you. there's, like, the fisherman, and he essentially has, like, water magic for the way it's described the way it looks like he makes like a sword out of water and mm. he like is he has like these like clear spheres which is like I'm like in my mind I'm just transcribing it to like DD oh like hey, he's a warlock he's got like aspects of his patron which is Leviathan yeah and then there's Rainier who's got like his black spheres that mm. he's using and like shooting like bolts of his like dark light energy yeah which um, I also I found it amazing that Rainier, because, like, I think he's supposed to be, like, a prodigy, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, like, essentially, like, the the man in black seems to have been alive for, like, way longer than the normal Like, person. thousands of years. Yeah. Like, his, he was a Hungarian whose family was killed by Turks. Yeah. What time, what time frame That's was that? That's, like, 1400. So he's been alive for, like, yeah. at least two, three thousand years. He might have been at the Battle or, of Or, no, wait, I'm sorry, I'm getting it wrong. Because I think this takes place in the 1900s. Yeah. So he, okay, he's been alive for like 500 yeah. years, maybe. But, so. but like, you know, so he's been learning the magic this whole time. And Rainier just, like, picks up a book for, like, a week and is like, I got this. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he got it. Yeah. Um, But they, so they're dueling while the rest of the squad is cutting. Chopping the lures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is not going well. No, it's very difficult to chop through it. And at one point... Um, one of them does get through, though. Yeah. And when it snaps, the line, like, whips around wildly because it's getting pulled by the Leviathan and catches on to the fisherman. Yeah. And the lures are covered in all these fish hooks and they just dig into his skin and just, like, drag him into the ocean. I thought it was, like, so badass. Yeah. I was like, that's just such a good way for him to go. Oh, yeah. Um. Also just brutal. Just brutal, Yeah. Um, but essentially there's like, you know, there's five of these ropes on the beach and they just chop all five of them and one of them ends up dying. Um, I don't think we need to go into that too much. I don't know. I'm trying to pick yeah. what is important yeah, to cover. 
And then, because we didn't even get to the end of the book yet. Yeah. Um, um, but, like, he gets killed, and essentially, his, his, is it his own brother who kills him? No, it's, uh, the, other it's the other guy that kills him. Um, Jacob but, kills the, the one twin, the yeah, one brother. But what they, what Rainier essentially does after they've gotten rid of the man in black is just kind of going, like, well, like, innocent blood has power, and so they, like, dip their blood in this, and it lets them cut the ropes easier. Mm-hmm. And the Leviathan swims off on his choice. And, yeah, the well, Leviathan, kinda. like, rises up out of the ocean, and Rainer's like, we need to get the fuck out of here, because all that water is gonna be where we're standing in a second. And the others are like, shouldn't we, like, try and cut all those other hundreds of ropes that that guy set out for the Leviathan? And he's like, I mean, you can stay here and do that if you want, but I'm getting yeah. out of here. I gotta go see my family. <laughs> yep. Um, so they eventually all run out um, and get free, and that's essentially the end oh. of the middle story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, you know... And remember, this middle story they, is all just a story that Howard... Howard tells them. ...is telling Dan and Abe. Yeah. But this is, like, two-thirds of the book um, is a story. Yeah, and but, but what's really interesting about that story is not only that it's, like, you know, super fantastical, but also that uh Howard seems to feel like they had to sit there through that story. Like they could not have gotten up yeah, and left. Yeah. And the I can't and, remember if we said this why Howard is telling them the story. Because they're going Because they are going to Dutchman's Creek, Creek, which is a creek that apparently is off of the reservoir right. that it was has yeah. been filled over that town where that whole story that we just went over takes place. Yeah. Um but also, you know, when he finishes telling the story, Howard has the feeling that this story should have taken even longer to tell them than it did. And, like, he just has somehow had this, like, whole story, like, infused into his mind in this time period. Like, And even Abe says, after listening to it, like, he's like, it's weird, like, Howard told us that story, but I'm, like, remembering parts of the story that I know are true that he didn't tell yeah, us yeah you know it's almost like the the story itself has to be told yeah and like once you're in it you're yeah. like in it kind of um but so even after this tale of warning and yeah. the sense of dread that abe and dan feel after hearing this story what do they do Dan is like i don't think we should go anymore no abe, no, is, abe like, is like abe i don't think like, we should go to work and dan's like no nah, he's go. like get in the fucking car <laughs> We're going, we're going fishing at Dutchman's Creek, bro. Yeah. We're going fishing. <laughs> so they, they roll up to Dutchman's Creek, and did they, they set up fishing first for a little while, right? Yeah, they set up fishing. They catch a weird fish yeah, that is described true. as a horrifying thing. I don't know why this man would go in and put his hands on this fish to pull it onto the shore, because he yeah. saw it before he did it. But it was described as, like, a giant fish with a human skull for a head that had, like, fish skin stretched over it. And like spiny fins, and yeah. I was like, I would not want to touch that <laughs> yeah. fucking thing. Like, oh no. <laughs> and its teeth, like the way it described its teeth, I was like, I don't know why you would touch that. <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, at this point, uh, Dan, or not Dan. At this point, Abe's like, maybe Abe, we yeah. should leave, and Dan like storms off. Yeah, he just like walks and off down the river. Abe is like trying to decide if he wants to try and secure this horrifying fish he caught or chase after Dan. And as he's like trying to think it over, he sees uh, his Marie, wife, yeah. his dead wife, wife, standing in the trees, uh, completely naked with golden eyes. Yep. I don't know. At 
this point, I mean, I understand wanting to see a deceased loved one, but I would just be like, golden eyes, pale skin, like, I would Listen, just stay the He fuck knew away. what was up. If you had the chance to sleep with the ghost, you'd I do it too. <laughs> I don't know that I would. I'd be scared after hearing that story. <laughs> But, but anyway, she, spoiler like, alert, him. spoiler, she seduces him and they end up sleeping together yeah. in the forest. Um, but then as they're laying next to each other, post making, he looks at her and instead of seeing Marie, sees this horrifying creature that looks, I thought she was meant to be described as similar to the fish he pulled out of the water. I thought like kind of like that, but more like jellyfishy. Like a okay, yeah, yeah, show. yeah, something like that. Um, and when he asked her what that fish he pulled out of the water was, she said a nymph, and yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's a nymph? <laughs> okay. Um, but, okay, so this part of the story I thought was really interesting. Uh, I definitely want to dive into it a little bit as we're going through it. So he sees Marie, they have sex, he's like, oh, you're like a weird thing, I don't know what you are. And then she's like, you want to see your friend? And he's like, yeah, where the fuck is Dan? And she's like, all right, follow me. And she essentially leads him, like, over a threshold, like the others did when they walked through to that guy's house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as they're going through, a couple of things happen. One, they see a statue of a woman who's pregnant but decapitated. And he's like, what is that? And he's, like, mesmerized by it. And she's like, the mother, right? Yeah. And I'm like, who who, who is, is that supposed to be? I didn't know if you had any thoughts or insights on it, but I thought it was very interesting because it almost seemed like the Marie fish thing had some kind of reverence for that statue. So what I wondered, because there's like multiple ways I wanted to take this, but it seems to me that despite all of this weird cosmic stuff, like this is like, it, 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 like this is like, how God sees created, mm -hmm. you know, on that level. And, like, they, they like, peeled back the layers too far. Like, mm -hmm. we, like, humans are supposed to look at that. So I was like, is that, like, Mary? Mm. And is there, like, not only, like, them revering it, but because of what the fisherman has been doing, it's, like, beheaded to show that he's, like, blemishing god's creation in a way okay. that shouldn't be blemished that it's by not humans. supposed to be done obviously yeah, like, obviously what he's doing is not supposed to be done yeah okay um that's like the main way i thought of it but then also i was like it could also just be like cosmic mob like the cosmic know, mob you know like, she's like classic. like some super ancient being that no one remembers anymore at all but it's just out there doing something and i also had to think if it was foreshadowing for the fact that she just had sex with Abe, and I was like, is this, like, foreshadowing that she's pregnant kind of thing? Which, uh, spoiler alert again, she yeah. was, because later he sees, like, two creepy children or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, we'll get to that later. So then the, the I thought that was really interesting. They saw, like, the remains of, like, an ancient civilization, essentially. They see that mother statue. But then the second thing that I thought was really interesting is on the way to the beach, they encounter a young man who is the fisherman. Well, that's what she tells Abe, yeah. at least when he asks. But she, they encounter this young man, and when he sees her walking with Abe, he, like, waves at them, like, cheerfully. And she just, like, freaks the fuck out. Like, she drops her Marie guys, where she was looking like a beautiful, hot young woman. Instead, now she goes into, like, full creepy fish creature mode. And then it said, like, there was, like, 
lesions on her body and her hair like becomes seaweed or something yeah. and like streams around her head and like she like screams at him and the guy like looks terrified and runs away from her and i was wondering she was and abe was like do you know him and she was like not yet yeah and i was like okay that makes me wonder if these fish people were living peacefully on the other side of the veil and then the fishermen came over and fucked over their whole lives. Yeah, yeah. By, like, essentially forcing them into his servitude for what his aims. Yeah. Um, like... Because it, cause it feels like, like, in our timeline, the whole story with the Hungarian woman happens in the past. But time doesn't work the same over there. So somehow Dan and Abe have stepped through a door before and ended up before the fisherman went full on like off the deep end. Yeah. And yeah, when he could still clearly cross over into this plane, yeah. but before he'd like done any dark magic. It was or like something. seeing Tom Riddle before he was born. And I also, uh, yeah, right, exactly. And I also wondered because it seemed like the Marie Fish person seemed, like, less bloodthirsty or less malevolent than the other ones have been described. And it almost made me be like, wait, do these... Does each individual fish person with golden eyes that isn't... is faking being a dead person have, like, a personality? Like, do they each have, like, a... Yeah, I don't know. Is this, like, a whole civilization that is just being forced to look like other people? Well, or they talk about it, because they're like, if you go down that road, you're gonna find... The, the city. The city where you have to, like... Well, there's, like, a whole city down there where you could, like, retrieve items and stuff, mm -hmm. but they don't go there. Don't go there. You yeah. She was like, you wouldn't like it there. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, okay. Yeah. Um... So he's following this Marie creature, his wife, to the, the beach. They end up at the beach, and he finds his friend Dan there, and Dan has been reunited with his wife and his two kids that died in the accident that we talked about earlier. And Dan has <laughs> apparently already been there for, like, a few days or, like, a week or something, yeah, right? Yeah, He's just lost it. He's yeah. just, his man has gone full-on crazy at this point. And you also see with him tied to a rock by the rope that pulled him into the ocean previously, the fisherman. Um, and I think you also realize at this point that I think you're stand they're standing on the Leviathan or like a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, mm -hmm. and they think like the black rock is actually like the hide of the Leviathan or something. Yeah, yeah. Um so they find Dan. With his lovely and, family yeah. of fish people. Who has, who has clearly <laughs> lost it. And uh, Abe is like, look, I know like this is your family and this is like a euphoric moment for you. You feel like you've like, been reunited and everything is okay now. But it's not. <laughs> it's not like, okay, like, man. I'm okay. here to tell you we need really to go bad. back. It's really bad. This is not right. Yeah. And Dan obviously does not like that at all. He doesn't want to hear it. And I thought it was like... Like, I would feel the same way as Abe. Like, essentially, Dan's like, you need to stay here and you need to give the fisherman your power like I'm doing so he can commit his full energy to fighting the Leviathan. Or, like, like recapturing what... Yeah, recapturing his power. down in the, er, in the story that Howard told. And then this is why I think the fisherman is actually controlling the fish people possibly against their will because Dan says that the fisherman needs his power to keep his family there. Mm -hmm. 
So I feel like the, it's some kind of illusion magic that the the you know fisherman yeah. is using. I don't think that the fish people necessarily are doing are it. Malevolent. Yeah. But um, you know, this leads to uh Dan attacking Abe. Yeah. And I definitely I would definitely sympathize with Abe here where where he's like, Dan's my good friend that I've known for years and we fished together for hundreds of and hours and this man is just gonna kill me. It's it's like a he's almost adopted this man because Abe is yeah. older and has kind of been like, I've seen you like enter the company and work hard and like you you lost your family and you know, you would he even says like you would think I would have reached out immediately because I had a similar thing happen. But there's not really a good way to do that in any circumstance. Right. Um, but we have been like brought together by this and now I have to fight my my mentor. Yeah, it's now. almost like a father son type relationship where he's like, I'm gonna like listen to you and help you through this if I can kind of thing. Cause he kinda relates to his loss. And essentially this now Dan is trying to kill Abe after everything they've been through, and Abe's just like, What the frick, yeah. man? Um, but they they fight for a while and it's kind of you know scrappy. They're like throwing rocks. And, yeah. And eventually, is it the blood that triggers? I think so. The fish people. Abe cuts Dan across the chest. Yeah. And he starts bleeding. And then his what what appear to be his wife and kids are like that smells good. They become. I imagine it almost like they are like these pale visages of his family, right? Yeah. But then their face just becomes, like, the maw of an anglerfish yeah. or something, because, like, they describe, like, the mouth opening mm -hmm. and just, like, clamps onto him yeah. and slowly eats him. I think, like, the wife actually clamps onto his face. Like, yeah, I think because, like, the one kid's on his neck. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, what a horrible way to go. I was like, does he even feel pain or does he just think he's making out with his wife? I yeah. don't know, but anyway. He uh, dies. He dies. And... Abe is essentially like, I don't even care about following the route I took to get here. I'm just getting the fuck out of here. He just runs. Yeah. And which it, not only helps him get away, but also screws over the fisherman because he was hoping to get both Abe and Dan's. And this is another reason, uh, again, I just keep coming back to this, but Marie, the whole time, Abe's wife, she. It just sits on the shore and stares at the ocean. <laughs> she nice. she doesn't even try to she doesn't even try to like play it up or convince Abe that he should stay. She doesn't help fight like Dan or Abe or like you know, she like I feel like if she was malevolent she could have helped try to kill Abe or something, or but maybe they're not allowed to interfere with I don't know. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. But she just sat there and stared at the ocean the whole time and didn't do it didn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah, Abe is um, just like, well, bye, fisherman, bye, Leviathan, I hope I never see you again. Yeah, bye, deuces, <laughs> he just leaves, and he ends up falling in some water, yeah. which essentially, like, spits him back out in Dutchman's Creek. Yeah. Um, and then, we, like, we won't go into too much detail for the end of the book, I think. Not a lot happens. He, a family moves in next door, he starts fishing again after a few years. Which is, like, truly insane to me. I don't know how you would do that. I would not be able to but fish anymore. But he kind of takes the neighbor's kid under, under his, his wing and teaches her how to fish. And, and then, one year, there's, like, this great flood that happens, which I, I, I mean, there's been a lot of flooding recently, yeah. so I didn't know if it was a reference to a specific flood that had happened. Happened. Well, I think... But he's in his house, yeah. and the whole house gets surrounded by a flood water, and he also does mention, like, a lot more catastrophic things happening in the world, which are, obviously, we all know them as signs of global warming type things, yeah. and I'm like, 
But he's like attributing it to perhaps the veil being loosened. Well, what I think between the Leviathan world here's and ours. What I thought. There's the Enochian Deluge, the biblical flood. Mm-hmm. And there's like a, a theory that a lot of like the magical creatures that we know from folklore died in the Enochian Deluge. And if we could find the right fossil remains, we would see that. Mm. But, like, this... What I thought happened was, like, instead of the Enochian Deluge being, like, a f- raining for, like, seven days, is like, God opened up the portal to this this ocean, let it pour over the earth, and then closed it up again. Okay. And so that's what the fisherman has been doing, is, like, like he's slowly opening this door and that's why things are getting worse and worse. Right. And then the flood happens and he's in his house flooded mm-hmm. and guess who shows up? Can't get rid of him. Yeah. It's Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan, who we saw eaten alive by his family of fish people, shows up at his door and is like, he's essentially like, it's my fault. It's your fault that I died. Like, yeah. he's saying to Abe, like, you killed me. And Abe's like, uh... Yeah, get the fuck out of here. And he essentially makes a homemade flamethrower, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And, like, flamethrows him into the water that's surrounding his house and then doesn't sleep at all that night, which makes sense. But as he was looking into the water, he did see, like, the faces of the hundreds of people, which is impossible. Like, he could have only had his backyard flooded, what, like, two or three feet? Yeah. But he sees into the depths of the Black Ocean that he had been to before, and among the people there, he sees Marie, and he sees two children next to her, and he says something like, I could have swore they had my mother's nose or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's implied that these are the spawn of him sleeping with it's fish Marie. Very shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah, so th- I don't. I want to know about these fish babies, honestly. I'm curious. Yeah. Are they hybrids? Are they part human, part fish creature? Are they. And that's where. We're compat- humans are compatible with the. Yeah. <laughs> Fish thing? But that's essentially where the story ends. That ends, yeah. Um, which I, and you had said this outside of the recording, is that you you could cut out Abe and Dan's story and just have that middle story and it would be a shorter and more concise story. Right. But I think what this, what their story achieves is all of Lovecraft stories to some extent feel like they take place in our world, right? Mm. So, and, like, during, like, a modern time, although. Yeah. Because, like, no Lovecraft was, like, 1920s, 1930, so it's not too long ago. Yeah. So, like, when you finish reading a Lovecraft story and the character is, like, you know, I read this journal that my uncle brought back from, like, Saudi Arabia or something, Mm -hmm. it feels like not only, like, this is, like, a weird fantastical story, but it, like, happened in our world. So, like, this, studying the fishermen during a fairly modern time, like, the 80s or whatever, and ending it there makes you think, like, oh, this is, like, not too far off. Yeah, from our present, basically. Yeah, I I was in, I have to say, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um... So what do we okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the literary aspects of the book itself. Uh what did what do we feel like the main theme of this book was? Um Loss? 
I don't know if that could be a theme. Yeah, like, I guess that would be the most human theme. Loss and, like, what it can drive you to do. I was thinking, like, you know, it's almost like... And this is weird, but, like, I once attended a youth group camp thing. Okay, me and too. one of the people <laughs> there was showing us these cool pictures of space. Mm-hmm. And there's that famous nebula that looks like a cross in space. Oh. And he was like, I like to think of, like, every time we make a cool discovery in space or, like, genetics or physics or something, it's almost like... We're like, we've got it. This is, like, the smallest thing we're ever going to find. And then God is like, aha, and makes, like, another smaller thing. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Yeah. So, <laughs> no. like, it's I almost... like that I do like that. <laughs> so, like, it's like, no, you know, no matter how much we explore reality, we will never uh, really understand reality. Okay. Um, And that's what, like, I took out of the story is, like, you know, you can peel back all the layers you want. And you could be, like, the most well-learned person on Earth in, like, both science and the occult. And there will still be weirder things out there than you can possibly imagine. Definitely. And, you know, you just have to accept that you're never going to know them. Yeah, no, I think that is, that is definitely true. Like, the aspect of discovery and how it's, like, every time we discover something, it's just scratching the surface, yeah. you know, type thing. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely could be, um, an aspect of the theme. Um, do we have, do we have, like, what do we feel like the, was there a turning point in the story? Was there, like, a climax of the story? What, like, I feel like there was multiple, I, but... I do think there was, but weirdly enough, I think it is at the end when the flood happened. Like, the final moment? Yeah, because I think up until then, Abe is like, that stuff happened, but it's done now. Uh Uh-huh. And then he's like, oh, you know, something slowly is happening. Mm -hmm. And it's very the color of Out of Space, read that, where, like, you know, the alien entity is eating away at the Earth, like, a centimeter at a time over a year. Dan or Dan, Abe is like, I know something's happening. And I'll probably out like I'll be dead before it happens. Before it gets to me. But at some point, humanity is gonna have to like reckon with, with whatever the heck is coming out of this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, See, that's another reason why I thought it was an illusion for global warming, kind of. Yeah. Because yeah, because it's like he's like, okay, I dealt with it a little bit. I did not like it. I'm not gonna be alive for when I see the real repercussions of it. Yeah. So I'm just gonna leave and it. That's, that's like a good lens. Like you could like write a good paper on that. You know? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what the author would think of that, or if he'd be like, no, I wasn't about stupid, <laughs> or, if he, or if he was like, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's not the most interesting moment, but the moment that has the most like sinister aspect. Because up until then, it's like. They defeat an undead Hungarian lady. They seem to have defeated the fisherman. The fisherman came back, but yet again, he has been foiled. And then you're like, damn it, he's back again. You know, Somehow Palpatine I returned. was surprised by this. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't mention this in the story, but uh, when Abe is following Marie Fishperson across the Vale into oh, the other, into, into the Vale, into the other, like, plane of existence, they pass a tree that Rainier had drawn a symbol on to essentially seal the rift there at the creek so that, like, that world couldn't seep into ours anymore from that point. 
and they pass it, and Abe notes it, and he notices that it looks like the tree was struck by lightning and it destroyed the symbol. And I was like, Abe felt no compulsion to try and fix that. To try and, like, put a new seal to keep... But does he know? He's not, like, an occultist. Like, he just I mean, he heard heard the story. Yeah. He knows everything in the story he knows. So he knows that it would be possible for that knowledge to be found. He could just look at the tree, and if it's just split, he could try and figure out what the pattern was. And I know that maybe that's dangerous or whatever, but, you know. I don't know. I just thought it was weird that Abe was just, like, essentially, like, dipped his toe into the Eldritch Horror, and he was just like, you know what? I'm just not gonna do anything about yeah. this. I'm just gonna leave this alone. <laughs> like, um, okay, well, you said yourself that you there you didn't really feel like there was memorable quotes necessarily, but Yeah, which I think is honestly Very thematic moments like that are very, memorable. It might be because I think I when I read something twice is when I get the quotes out. I think also it's really easy in this book to get drawn into the scene. Yeah. And then you're not picking out, like, a specific line necessarily, but it's almost like you're experiencing the scene that's happening, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I could definitely see that. But did you did you have a favorite part? Um, yeah. I mean, like, it, it's probably not, like, the whole flashback story, but from the point where they decide to face undead Hungarian lady up until, like, through the magic duel. Like, I just like that whole segment. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it, it's the payoff of, like, a really long build-up. And this book's only, like, what, 200 pages Yeah, long? it's, like, 250. But, like, like to get to that point, it's, like, 120 pages. It takes a while to get there, that's and for sure. And then when you get there, it's, like, everything is just happening. I, I gotta say, I do feel like the beginning of this book, there was some times in the beginning... Like, they don't talk about Eldritch stuff at all at the beginning of the but like, for the first, like, four chapters, really. And I'm just like, I feel like we don't have to go as in detail with his fishing routes. I feel like we didn't have to go as in detail with the types of bait and stuff. You know, like, I feel like we could have skipped a little bit of that. That's something I talk about with my coworkers a lot, because the first line is, call me Abe, right? Yeah, call me Abe. Yeah, not Abraham. He's riffing off of call me Ishmael from Moby Dick. Yeah. And... One of the things I was talking about with some of my coworkers is like when you are a well-read person, you know, like if you were to go to school, like for classics, or like you know just for English in general, the stuff that you're supposed to have read, like Anna Karenina, Moby Dick, like the Bible, Gilgamesh, there's literally any amount of time. I've read the articles, like you know, they expect you to read that in like four years if you're doing a degree. But to read that stuff, they estimate it would take someone who had no job and only did that, like, ten years. Mm. So, when you are, like, well-learned enough to talk about some kind of classical property or, like, medieval story, and sometimes, or you're writing something, your, like, tendency is to be like, look at me, I know this thing, like, I know this fairy tale. So, it just felt like he was, like, forcing, he was like, hey, look, I read Moby Dick. And this book's about fishermen, so I'm going to talk about Moby Dick. <laughs> I'm going to reference it. Yeah. Hardcore. But I also yeah. think it fits, because if you were to meet, like, a, you know, like in movies when they're, they're like, in the small fishing town, and in the mat, and they talk to, like, a fisherman in, like, the local bar, and he's, like, many moons ago, and, um, you know, it was before, like, Coca-Cola, the factory opened, 
And uh, long before old man Tim and Joanne got married, he just like can tell you the whole freaking history of the town. Mm, yeah. Um, is like what the voice, More like an oral tradition. The type voice thing. of Abe, who is the narrator, was what Langan was trying to get out of that. Right. Right. Um, but it did at points you were like, "All right, man, like something's got to happen." So can we get some kind of action? Just a little tease, yeah. like. Um, I won't talk about it too much, because I think I already, uh, definitely talked about it earlier, but my favorite part was definitely when, uh, Marie Fishperson was leading Abe through the veil to the beach. Like, yeah. not even, like, them getting to be, just that journey, I don't know why I found that so fascinating, but I feel like in that small section, we got so much more lore than we did in other aspects of it, and I really wanted to know more well, about those things. Well, I think that's the strength of that scene, is, like, you are in a place where you could finally learn information about whatever the hell is going on behind the scenes of reality. Mm-hmm. But you know, the character does not have time, and they are not seeing Yeah, you just skim the surface of it, and it, like, Because, yeah. like, I... One of my other favorite scenes that we didn't talk about at all is you get a small flashback of Rainer learning magic and being yeah. exiled in Germany. And I really liked when he and his co co-worker person... Colleague? Yeah, yeah. Are, like, studying magic together, and they find the word for darkness... And all yeah, the lights go out. And they say they like say dark. Yeah. And then it just like becomes pitch black. Yeah. And then they get into this like etymological and linguistic argument about what the word for light would be. And essentially he's like, you know, they're like, We reconstructed the accent and this is how I think it's said and Rainer it doesn't work. And then his colleague says it, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I guess my accent was my I guess you got it right, you yeah. bastard. Man, that was, <laughs> that was that's so funny. Like, you're, like, this scholar, and, like, you know, they always have those debates of, like, I think this is the way it's pronounced, but, like, you would know for sure it was the right way, because something magic would happen, yeah. and then your colleague would just be like, <laughs> Yeah. Gotcha. And there's very, it's weird, because there's so much cosmic stuff, but it's also, there's so very little of it at the same time. Yeah. Like, you does, you just want more. Yeah, and it, honestly, like, I mean, uh, it made me think of, like, Bloodborne a little bit, because I'm like, I want to know, like, more lore stuff, and I feel like you did, we didn't get a lot of it, yeah. but that's the point of it, is that you didn't get a lot, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, Alright, so that brings us to the, the final uh, segment, which is recommendation. Would you recommend it? What do you rate it? Yeah, it's like a three and a half out of five for me. Oh, interesting. I, I, I thought this would be at least a solid four for you. No, and I think it is the pacing a little bit. Yeah, the beginning is just kind of a slow start. But also, and I, I would recommend it, but like, I don't know if this is a good starting cosmic horror story. And I hate, like... I mean, language-wise, I feel it's definitely easier to read than a, than a Lovecraft yeah. novel. But, but I feel like... Or story. Like, you know, how would the story come across if you had not ever read a Lovecraft piece? Yeah, you'd have, you should read it if you're seeking that kind of story. Yeah, because, like, it, it does build on Lovecraft, and I think you could understand it. But there are, like, allusions to stuff in Lovecraft's work, which is almost kind of unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But, like, 
that I feel like would be really weird if you had never read a cosmic horror story. I don't know what I would recommend as like a starter cosmic horror. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, what would be a starter? I always is... recommend The Shadow of There's Redemption. no shallow end. You just dive right into it. Yeah. Right? Kind Which of? That is... genre? Actually, I, I forgot you mentioned this earlier. They talk about the, the kids have his mother's nose. Yeah. And, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't read Shadow of Redemption, that came out, like, 70 or 80 years You should ago. read it. <laughs> um, You know, this guy goes to this town. There's all these fish people living there. He escapes. And then he finds out that, like, you know, the people who live there have, like, they they look human for a while and they become these fish people from aging. And he's part of that bloodline and he's becoming that. And he's I becoming was, like, a fish man. So there's, like, a nod to, like, Lovecraft there that you just wouldn't get if you hadn't read it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I would recommend it. I think I, I think surprisingly, I would actually give this one a 7 out of 10. I think I liked it. A lot more than I thought I would, which is part of the reason I'm giving it such a high rating. I don't usually like horror books. The beginning was really slow. Maybe like a six and a half out of ten. Because when I started it, it took me so long to start it. Because I was struggling to get through those first few chapters. Because I was like, if this is the whole book, like I'm going to lose my mind. Because it's so slow, you know? But then once it actually gets into the story, it becomes very interesting. So it will... Maybe I'll go six and a half. Yeah. Six and a half out of ten for me. And I think it's maybe not even slow. It's just that the first two chapters, they really give you an understanding of Abe and Dan, almost to the point of being too much. Yeah. Like, they're, like, each at 34 pages That's long. what I'm saying, is, like, okay, we get it. You guys like fishing. We get it. You're sad. You're yeah. Like, I was like, I feel like we didn't get that. I want more information like that on Rainier. Sure, yeah. he's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like, give me, like, you didn't give me any information on these people. <laughs> but instead, we get it on the fish guys. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it did, it has made me want to read more cosmic horror, which I always want to read more cosmic horror. But this is, um, the first one that I don't think, it balances the line between being out-and-out horror, but also not, like, cheesy horror. Where, like, there's so much horror all the time, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's almost more of a mystery story. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely see that. Like, more fantastical mystery kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Alright, yeah. yeah. Overall, I gotta say, I was surprised that I like this one. And yeah. I know, I think this ran over a little longer than some of our other ones, but, like, there's just, it's just hard to cover. We it's didn't even intense. talk about some of the stuff that happened yeah. in it. For being a 260-page book, like, it's, there's a lot that happens in there. Um, but yeah, definitely check it out or let us know what you thought about it if you read along with us. And, uh, we look forward to next month where we'll be reading The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, yeah. which is going to be a total 180 from this one uh, because it's a fantasy romance kind of novel. I'm looking forward to it as my pick, so... I just... Morgenstern is a great name. I believe in German it means Morningstar. Well, awesome. Fun Badass, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we love the name. Hopefully we'll love the book, too. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. But yeah, uh... So if you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review wherever you're listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Sharon Pages Pod. And uh, also check us out on 
Commander at the end. And uh, we'll see you guys next month.